Whom do I call when I want to learn more about whiskey? The perfect person is Kurt Maitland. He is deputy editor of the Whiskey Reviewer, and his newest book is called Infused, which follows drink and also measure, shake, pour. If you like us, review us. In the meantime, listen to Kurt Maitland. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Today we're here with Kurt Maitland, author of Drink and most recently Infused. He is the deputy editor of Whiskey Review. He is the deputy editor of Whiskey Reviewer website, the curator of the Manhattan Whiskey Club, and he's also the assistant director of whiskey curation and education at the Museum of Distilled Spirits. That is quite a lot of credentials. So welcome, Kurt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'm really, um, really interested to know how you got involved in whiskey. Well, I tell people it's because I didn't like beer. That's probably the easiest way to get to it. When I was in college, I found that, like, for lack of a better word, it would make me gassy. I was like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not happy drinking this. One of my best friends was a fan of Irish whiskey and drank a lot of Jameson's. So we would get together and have lots of Jamie over the course of our college career. And that got me started into whiskey. So when I moved to D.C., a friend of mine who's actually the editor of the Whiskey Reviewer, he was a Kentucky boy and uh-huh. loves bourbon. Uh-huh. So he and I would hang and watch, like, boxing matches and drink bourbon and just, you know, hang out. I get to visit him and his family. And so that got me into bourbon. And he's a crucial part of the story because when I moved to New York, he moved to Portugal and it so happened he was starting the Whiskey Reviewer. And I think I was the first additional writer. So that's why I get to be the deputy editor, is that, you know, he pulled me in. And he's like, I need someone to write about whiskey, and you're living in New York, so you're perfectly situated. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling. And I had to interview people, so I had to learn more. So I'm getting books and... I didn't I didn't want to come off as not knowing what I was talking about. Right. So I had to like a crash course into whiskey and like reading books on history and tracking down articles that, you know, they had people who I was going to interview had been interviewed in so I could see what they were talking about. And so you were drinking new things like rye and other things too, not mm-hmm. just not just bourbon. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And and I mean it was good in that it kept me out of let's say being in a box whiskey wise some people you know we talk about the whiskey journey some people you know they don't make a stop at all the different way stations 
they get to a place where they're like, oh, I love bourbon or I love rye or I love cocktails. And then, then they never leave it. Like that's where they're at. Mm-hmm. Because I was had to write and interview people and, and people would send me stuff, I had to have, have some knowledge of whatever I was dealing with. So that got me into Japanese whiskey. That got me into, you know, the craft experience because, of course, I get all these, like, craft releases and try to, you know, let's see, how does this taste compared to, let's say, the more commercial releases? And I had to have, like, this library in my head of flavors and um, taste. So when did that start? When was that? The, I think, it's funny, I've been writing for over 10 years at this point. And so the whiskey reviewer was like, I think it was probably like mid, mid 2000s. And then the first book, which was the book on cocktails was, I think it was 2018 or 2019. It's funny how it's like, it's scary. I did the thing, but like you work on it, it all starts to blur. Of course, of course. So that's drink. That's drink. So did you set out to write the book that you wished you had been able to find when you were looking or first learning? Well, it's funny because really what happened was the publisher reached out to me, which in, I have friends who write and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I was at my day job and I got a phone call and they're like, Kurt, we'd like you to write a book on cocktails. And I'm like, I write about whiskey. And they're like, yeah, no, we didn't ask you that. Could you write a book on cocktails? And I tell people like, I'm arrogant enough to think that if you give me enough time, Yes, I can write a book on cocktails. So then when I started writing that book, I had, because the thing is, is this, it's like, I have never worked in a bar. I'm always in bars. I, you know, I drink plenty. I've certainly had cocktails and I've had all my whiskey and everything else. But writing about it, I think perhaps what the publisher wanted from me was a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't coming at it from like, oh, I've worked in bars and here's what I do. You know, it's, oh, I like bars and I want this to be as educational as possible. So to go with what you were saying, it was definitely, hey. You were every man. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm on a journey and I'm the eyes and ears for the people who are going to read the book. Uh And so for drink, I wanted to have enough information that like it was there was information for every level of cocktail enthusiast. If you were just starting, hey, we have 1,100 recipes. Just, you know, go to town. If you're already in the business, you know, hey, we have interviews from people who started their own bars, people who are in the industry. If you were starting your own business, hey, there's information in here that's useful to you that, you know, because, you know, maybe you don't need the recipes. You have plenty of other books. There are plenty of sources of other recipes. Mm -hmm. I don't take it personal. It might be that for them, the important part of the book was, you know, really the Q and A's with other, you know, whiskey professionals Mm -hmm. or not whiskey professionals. And my apologies, cocktail professionals. And I put them in to make up for my own weakness. I'm like, I wouldn't want to read a book on cocktails from somebody who didn't, wasn't practically, you know, making cocktails on a regular basis, wasn't in the industry. I'm in the spirits industry, and I guess now I'm in the cocktail industry, but I wasn't when I was writing it. So I tried to fix that by like, here, let's bring in some experience. Let's have people who know what they're talking about. So the, and they put up with me, which was nice of them. Well, and probably the questions that you ask were the questions that your readers would have asked if they had been in that same situation, which 
a, a person who was already the expert may not have even thought to tell someone. Right. Because, yeah, because there's stuff like one of my, I'll call him a mentor. He's a great friend as well. He's in the book, and he owned a bar called Lewis 649. So Zach, I believe his proper pronunciation of his name is, I think, Shiraga. But I could be wrong, and he may yell at me later. But he taught me about stuff like ice. And as a civilian, Mm -hmm. you don't think about ice. You think it's like ice is something that... You go to the store and you buy it in a bag or you have it in your freezer and you're like, no, if you don't use ice properly, you could ruin your drink. You get the small pebble ice, it melts too fast, it waters down your cocktail too fast. You know, you might want to use the ice you're buying in the store to cool down your glassware or something. You don't, however, want to, you know, put that in your glass to drink with it. Um, And... Stuff I wouldn't know, where somebody in the business would definitely know, and then they might not think to include that because they would think it's like it's obvious. Why would you, you know? And so I put it in, and it worked. I have this section. I think it's called the the mystery of ice, and we talk about it, and that's the thanks to Zach pointing it out to me. Right. Yeah, I could I could see that 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 somebody needs to take that point of view, mm-hmm. um, and probably most books are written by experts. Right. Who probably wouldn't really realize how to take somebody from zero to 60, so to speak, without, uh, without, because they wouldn't be answering all those questions. Right. You know, and, and the thing is, is like, you definitely want, like, I get the books from the experts because I, you know, like, I remember Dale's book, um, his first, I'm thinking it's, it's his first one. You're talking about Dale DeGroff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, his, one of his books, I think it's the art, is it? of the cocktail the craft of the cocktail Mm -hmm. that was my first real experience making cocktails at home it was that book like i had a class with zach at his bar he actually Mm -hmm. did something where you could come in and do it but it was dale's book that i went back to and was working on stuff because i think i had to stretch where i was unemployed and sitting in my apartment and i'm like oh i can't really afford to go out and drink oh but i have this book and i can make cocktails and they were so much better making them at home versus what I had access to when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And it's different now. Like, it's like, if you're a cocktail enthusiast, like your world has expanded so much because there's so much of an emphasis in cocktails that like, you know, not to say that there weren't good cocktail bars in the eighties and nineties, but they weren't as prevalent. You had to kind of know like where to go. They were maybe in a hotel or a very fancy bar. Whereas your generic, if you went to a normal bar, it was a bar full of like, you know, pre-mixes and margarita machines. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you step away from that and you make the ingredients fresh or you upgrade the spirits. Maybe you're not getting well. Maybe you just spend an extra 10 bucks or something better. Mm-hmm. And it's like your cocktail is that much better. Um, and it's something you can share with your friends and family. So, you know, that's what I thought was the important part of all of it on my end. And I, I owe thanks to both Dale and my friend Zach. I remember the first time I had a margarita that was made with actual lime juice, that somebody cut the lime in front of me and squeezed. Mm -hmm. I was just really amazed. It doesn't have that plasticky, you know, flavor from like, oh, you got the lime juice pre-squeeze from the store. It's like... All these things go away, and it's such a cl- much, it's a cleaner experience having that cocktail. Yes, you know, 
And it's great, like I said, to show off for your friends. Your friends come by and you make them a drink. Because most of the stuff that you have to do, like a simple syrup, is fast. Sure. There are cheats. You could take honey and just add water. And it's like for certain drinks, like making a bee's knees, it's like, okay, yeah, you know what? A honey simple syrup isn't the worst thing in the world, you know, right. for, a, for a lemon-driven cocktail. Yeah. So, and I've learned this. So I know something now. Well, you know, and you develop a palate Mm -hmm. in a different way than when everything is full of preservatives and all of that sort of thing, because I think that really takes an edge off of your ability to taste. Right. Yeah, because there's too many, I think there are too many unnecessary flavors and taste in when you're not making it, you know, with fresh ingredients. Right. You know, and I'm like, and they're cocktails, because my first hang up with cocktails was the speed element. You come home from work like a drink are you going to sit there and spend 10 minutes prepping the ingredients to make a cocktail or you can open up you know have a beer have wine have whiskey but then you realize like oh there's the world of highballs and it's like okay so some soda water and some whiskey or another spirit and hey you maybe you drop some you know you drop something in there some infusion or something or you you know let's say take a lemon and do whatever it's like oh okay this might work whatever it happens to be you know mm-hmm. So I want to ask you a little bit about your work with the Manhattan Whiskey Club. So tell me about that. What happened along, it was like it happened midway into my writing career. So writing for the Whiskey Reviewer, I had all these contacts. And the big thing in spirits, and I think this part won't change, is the educational element. Mm -hmm. And I think that some bars don't do as good a job as they should educating their clientele as to just like what they can drink. Oh, hey, you like this? Here are five things that are similar to that. You might like them as well. You might like them better. And part of it's simply, you know, they don't have time, they haven't been properly trained, so on and so forth. And so with whiskey, I found, and perhaps I'm prejudiced because that's where I started writing was on whiskey, you know, the cost of entry is so much higher than the other spirits. Mm-hmm. It's not expensive to get a bottle of vodka or a bottle of gin. It's like you can get a reasonably priced bottle. For whiskey, you know, even on the low end on bourbon, it's like you're going to pay $20, $25, you know, that's fine. You get the scotch, you're paying 40 You move up, you're paying 60 you're paying 80 And the thing, it's like the puzzle that always caught me was if you're teaching people about whiskey and you say like, hey, like Lagavulin or for I guess and are good whiskeys and they are but they're not the whiskeys I'd start somebody with mm-hmm. because you know I think a difference between let's say scotch and bourbon is that bourbon's flavor profile is fairly consistent if you're drinking a bourbon you could pick six different manufacturers it's still bourbon mm-hmm. whereas with scotch it's like because of you know how they age the product you know whether there's peat mm-hmm. those kind of things your experience with scotch can be wildly different. You can have some, you know, you have very peaty whiskeys. You have ones that are very sweet. You have ones that are finished in three different wine casks. Mm-hmm. All those different options make it a potential minefield for the person getting into whiskey. So I started the club with the idea that it'd be a, I could have it at a reasonable price. The brands could provide the whiskey. Therefore, I could help them with the education that I say occasionally they, they lack um, and then the end goal was that every member of the club, which I've never advertised, the club, it works like the fight club. 
Like friends of friends tell me, hey, my friend's pretty cool and they like whiskey. Can I let them in? I'm like, all right, that's fine. The deal is, is that at the end of a year, my expectation is like they won't have attended every session, uh-huh. but they'll know what they like because they'll had six whiskeys. They'll have, you know, 10 different sessions over the course of the year. And they'll say, hey, I like that. I like that. I don't like that. Or I like this brand and I'm happy with everything they release. Or some things like, I really, really like this release. When they spend their money, they know what they're getting because they've tasted it already. Right. When they talk to their friends, you know, they'll say, hey, I had this and this is why I like it. And so it was, you know, me assembling something where I could have drinking buddies in New York. Uh-huh. The club is co-ed. Everybody's able to come enter it or join it. And, you know, I mean, it's fun, uh, I'll say. I mean, there there's things that happened during COVID where it's like we couldn't gather. So I sure. had to, like, make, you know, sample sets. So I'm very familiar with one-ounce little bottles and making sets for people. But overall, I mean, I love my club and I love my members and it's fun. Uh-huh. It's just a lot of extra work. That's all. But that's part of the deal, you know. I, I think so. I mean, if you do it, it's because you love it, mm-hmm. not because you're doing it just for money or right. anything like that. Oh, yeah, no. no there's, there's, there's I, <laughs> I, I, tell a, I have a friend of mine who does the same stuff and he has another club, um, an excellent club called uh, Drammers. I'm like, if I was going to do it for money, I would probably just do it corporate. Like, sure. I would just do it for businesses. It's like, yeah. I wouldn't just, you know, I could charge more, whatever. It's just like, it's a lot of work for what you're doing. But I mean, it's really, you do it because everybody else, you know, you get pleasure out of that. Right. You can teach CEOs how to be sophisticated. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm, I'm not opposed, you know. Don't get me wrong. I'll do that too. So. Okay. So also tell me about... Your work as Assistant Director of Whiskey Curation and Education for the Museum of Distilled Spirits. Well, it's along the same line where um, I wanted a place where I could do more long-form education mm-hmm. and kind of have that material kind of compiled. You know, So you write and you write your stuff that goes on the web, you write your articles and whatever, and yet they're around and can be searched. But you know, that experience is either they read it or they didn't. Whereas you can get the kind of back and forth in a class setting Mm -hmm. where I can hear, I've put out the history of this or history of that. Um, Let's discuss it. You know, they're going to come in with their views and their opinions. I'm going to have my own and they're going to have questions that I might have not have thought of, but hopefully I have the background in which I can kind of fill them in. And it's mainly, especially because you're doing an event where at present, because we're doing it online, you're not drinking together. Like they're drinking what they have. We're not drinking the same stuff, Mm -hmm. but you get the education in. And I'm really a big fan of the educational aspect of it because then I can do kind of exotic subjects. There's times you'll just focus on, you know, a type of whiskey or when we did our first set of classes, we did a a four-parter I think the first part was history, second part was agriculture, third part was production, and then the last part was recommendations. And so you could dig into the nitty-gritty. Like, I learned stuff in the researching mm-hmm. of those sections because it's just parts that you gloss over. Sure. Um, I'm like, well, no, I can't do that. I have to actually learn it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in the process of putting together um, a program of stuff for the summer and, like, the rest of the year, and it's good. It's just, like, it's another outlet. 
another way to educate and also stay connected. Because, you know, you, once you're in the spirits industry on whatever level I'm in, because I can't call myself an expert, that would be a lie. I just know some stuff. But it's like you, you're now in a different realm than the people that you interact with on some level mm -hmm. because you're tasting things they may not taste. You're hanging out with, you know, let's say cocktail makers that they may not meet. I'm traveling the world to go and there's stuff that, you know, I get to experience that they may not. So I try to, whether it's the books or the classes, bring some of that experience to them and either encourage them to, you know, learn from my example, good or bad, but also go out and explore yourself and learn uh, these things. So that brings us to Infused. So how did you decide to do that, that book? Well, that, um, it came about for two reasons. One's related to drink. When I did drink, I was kind of like, I wasn't interested in doing lots of mocktails. I did a few. Mm -hmm. um, there are a decent amount of the recipes, but I'm like, I wanted something that was specifically not a mocktail, but was tasty and didn't have alcohol for people. Like you're having a party, somebody doesn't drink. Mm -hmm. So, okay, fine. Like, I don't want to sit there and like, well, hey, there's water in the fridge or give them soda. You know, it's like, here's some seltzer. It's like, no, no, I want to make something so I can take the time, but it doesn't have any alcohol. And so there were simple infusions um, that I found were really great. It was something like, okay, blue, soak blueberry and lemon. You get blueberry and lemon water. Mm -hmm. And people who were drinking would come and get some of that as their breather between drinks as a way to kind of refresh themselves. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's there's a world in here. And also for those drinks, it was, you, it was doing double duty because you can do an infusion with water mm -hmm. or you can do an infusion with a spirit. You could have done that with vodka. You've done it with gin. And so I'm like, cool. These are kind of like, it gives people options. I'm a big fan of options. So I wanted to do that for everybody um, in regards to the spirit space. So when it came time for Infused, I was really interested in the infusions I had done in drink. Mm -hmm. And so my publisher reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to just do a book on infusions? And I'm like, sure, why not? I'm already there. So let's, get, let's go, go to it. But it happened that I was traveling. So somebody asked me, they're like, it seems like you're an Anglophile. You have all these, you know, you have these bars in London. You have only a few bars in the States. I go, it's funny. It's almost like you could track my travel. When the book idea started, I happened to have been in Dublin. And so I went from Dublin to London. London, I hit bars and I, you know, I got people to help me or, be willing to participate. I also went to Germany, same thing. Mm -hmm. Then I came back to Dublin, went to Belfast. I had a friend who was in my first book, who uh, excellent contributions in both books. And so I, it's Francis, so Francis Cosgrove. If I'll point it out to him so he'll hear it and he'll, it'll make him happy. But like, <laughs> he's a great part of both books. And then I came home to the States, was working on the book. Mm -hmm. And then it so happened that I got a I mean, I pulled some New York bars because I do live there, so I knew who to hit. And then it so happened I came to New Orleans early 2020 and got three bars in New Orleans, too. So it was Proof, um, Jewel of the South, 
and Bella Puck, um, to all add in stuff. And it's like, if you're doing cocktails, there are like four cities and you're all, New Orleans is always in that conversation. It's like New Orleans, Paris, London, New York. Like those are the four, but New Orleans is always like, it's definitely the one you don't miss. You might, you know, you might slough off Paris. You might, not like Paris doesn't deserve a place, but it's like uh, New Orleans is special. So especially for cocktails. So it was great to add that to that book. And so, yeah, it, I went through it and I got the material together. And it's funny because it's a bit different. Like there's some instructional elements in drink that don't exist in Infused. Mm-hmm. Because in Infused, I'm like, oh, here, let's have, you know, my publisher's like, put in a something about ice. Okay, I'll write about ice. For Infused, it was more like, no, let's talk to the cocktail makers and talk to them about hey, what drives your decision for these infusions? What do you do for it in your bar? Why do you like infusions? What do you think's next? Like, if infusions is one level or one part of the cocktail journey, what do you think's to the next thing? And those conversations are cool. And again, with the same goal that I had with drink, that it's like there are elements for your beginning, mm-hmm your person getting into cocktails. There's elements for your person who's already been making home cocktails. And here, this thing is like spice up what you're already doing. And there's elements in there for the cocktail professional. There's just things I never thought of. And granted, I'm not a cocktail professional, but I figured, hey, maybe somebody else would find this useful, find it interesting. So I want to ask you about, say, a kind of traditional infusion, something like limoncello. Mm-hmm. So that also is watered down. It's not the same, the same proof as just grain alcohol or something like that. Plus it has sugar in it. Right. So how do you feel about that? And it's also designed to be drunk by itself. Right. So what, what is your opinion about that versus something that's more, say, an infused bourbon that's just bourbon with the infusion? Well, what I would... What I'd say is this, it's like the lemoncello, it's like maybe I use the lemoncello to infuse something else. So I take the lemoncello and let's say I add some element. I'm trying to think of what it would be, but like the lemoncello is sweet. Mm-hmm. So maybe I want to take it. Oh, you know what I'm thinking now? We talked about like absinthe mm-hmm. or herb saint. Maybe it's like, oh, maybe I can do something with that to cut through the sweetness. Because with me, and it's like a hang up I have, it's like the fear of a cocktail being too sweet. Uh-huh. And so so you take something like a rusty nail. And the problem with a rusty nail, well, it's two things. Most most recipes don't ever specify that you want a smoky scotch because, you know, the thing is Drambuie is so sweet mm-hmm. that you need something to balance it out. Right. So if you don't know that, like, you need a smoky scotch to cut through the Drambuie, it's like having sweet with sweet. It's pouring, like, honey on top of syrup. And so the problem's always fixing the drambuie. And I told somebody, it's like, oh, maybe you turn it into an aerosol. Maybe you take it and you mist the inside of the glass. You put in your two fingers of your smoky scotch, and then maybe you miss the top, do two spins, let it go. You've reduced the amount of drambuie. It's now a smaller element, but it's not so overpowering. So with the lemon limoncello, I'm thinking that, because you're right, it is different. Like, and I'll give you an example within the book. Um, there's this bar. I use this example all the time. 
but it's one that like stuck in my mind because it was such a simple infusion, but it's amazing. So there's this bar um, in Hamburg, and I think it's called, it's called the Drip Bar. And what they do is they get those massive coffee carafes mm-hmm. so you can do the pour over, all right? So they put in a filter. They fill the, pil- the filter with peanuts, this regular salted peanuts. They will pour. Unshelled, uh, un- already shelled. Already shelled. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will pour a bottle of rum or a whiskey over those nuts and let it collect at the bottom of the craft. It's a simple fat salt wash, mm-hmm. but it's like they use that to make a Manhattan. They make a salted Manhattan out of that. And it's like, it's easy, mm-hmm. but it's really innovative mm-hmm. because it's not much trouble. You buy the bottle, you got the carafe, you get the nuts, done. And so I'm thinking like maybe with a limoncello, maybe there's something you'd want to pour the limoncello over. Same deal. And like kind of use it to kind of like, let's say, change its aspect, but still have it be limoncello mm-hmm. um, and pour it over something. And I'm thinking something that would be maybe more bitter, you know, than limoncello because limoncello is sweet. So sweet. Yeah. Um, and then collect it and then use that for another drink because that's the, it's, you get to play mad scientist with all this stuff. And that's the fun part. You know, it's like, oh, do I do three drops of my infusion, like do an infused oil on top of the spirit and spin it? And like, what do I get? You know? Be interesting to do it over something like anise seeds or fennel seeds or mm-hmm. something like that, like a a coffee filter full yeah. of those. Yeah. yeah. So imagine like you, let's say you toasted anise uh-huh. and then poured that over it. And it would get like, you get this slight of like smokiness. You get smoke and the anise and then it would be in the limoncello. And then you could use that for something and you could either drink it straight uh-huh. or hey, it's part of some other cocktail. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 I, that was that was a, a curious thing that came to my head when I was looking at, at infused. Mm-hmm. I kept saying, but what about these traditional infused things that are also sweetened and they're meant to mm-hmm. be some kind of um, digestif or something right. like that, you yeah. know? Like you can tweak all of those things. Uh-huh. And, and, that, and that's the fun thing with infusions. And it comes back to something that I learned about blending whiskey. So... Um, I had a conversation with the master blender for Diageo for Johnny Walker. So his name is Jim Beveridge, Dr. Jim Beveridge. And I asked him about blends and he goes, I go, what do you like about blends? And he, and compared to single malts and he's like, single malts are amazing. Um, but again, they're single malts, they're singular. And so by making blends, I can create things that don't exist. I can put together three whiskeys, and I can get an entirely new whiskey that wasn't there until I made this blend. That's the magic of something like an infusion. It's like you can take something that exists, something that you like, you can make it better for you. You can modify it in a way that, like, there's some flavor that, like, let's say you'd love to pair with it, you'd love to add and you get to, like I said, be a mad scientist. You get some baby food jars that are, you know, empty and clean. And like, cause you don't have to, you don't have to take the entire um, bottle of limoncello to right. test it. Right. Yeah. Put a, you know, just put like put two ounces in a small container mm-hmm. and then put something in there. Like maybe you say like, hey, let me, let's say I crush walnuts mm-hmm. and then put it in there and just let it sit mm-hmm. and drain out the, you know, does it get something from those walnuts? Is there mm-hmm. some flavor it's getting that maybe, you know changes the limoncello but makes the limoncello better for me to use for something else i think that'd be that's fun mm-hmm. 
Okay, I have one more question for you. Okay. You keep saying that you're not a whiskey expert, mm -hmm. so I want to know when does one become a whiskey expert? <laughs> well, this is this is what I'd say. Um, you're in this journeyman role or journey person because obviously it's it's anybody doing it, and you're learning more things, and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. So, for example, when I was working on the history classes, I was working on the class for the Museum of Distilled Spirits. I mean, I know plenty about whiskey, but there was things I didn't know and I had to learn in order to have the class. Mm -hmm. And I keep coming across that. So, you know, I know a lot because I've kind of like, I keep on trying to shove more knowledge into my, into my head. But there's always things I don't know. And so, and as long as I'm aware of that, that I'm like, I'm hesitant to say I'm an expert. I just say I have, I have some knowledge and we'll, you know, we'll leave it at that. But that's the way I look at it. And there are people that are like way above me, but I think all of them, they kind of feel the same way. They, you know, they have superior knowledge to me and I would concede that, but they feel that like there's still more to learn and they're still trying to, you know, um, add more tools to their, you know, tool shed as far as like with their whiskey knowledge. You can always go deeper into a distillery or deeper into a brand or deeper into a type of spirit. And there are just things that pop up that you just didn't know, which is part of the fun. So thank you very much, Kurt Maitland, for being here. Your new book is Distilled, which I think, I'm sorry, your new book is Infused. Mm -hmm. And I think you can get it Anywhere? Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Costco. Apparently, I have friends of mine in Hong Kong that have it, and friend, a friend of mine in Africa who has it. So, yeah, it's, it's around. Anywhere. It could be had. <laughs> go, to your, go to your local bookstore. Feel free to put it in order. If you can track me down, I'm happy to sign it because, you know, I get pleasant surprises of people getting this book. And I'm like, I got a guy in Belgium saying, I love your book. You should come here and sign it. I'm like, oh, I didn't know it got to Belgium. Cool. I'm happy you enjoy it. Thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.